AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. Research investment in the 2023 Farm Bill is the topic of a hearing on Capitol Hill this morning. We'll get the latest on ag research and learn about proposed legislation that is designed to protect farmers and ranchers from the SEC. And let's get more perspective on EPA's proposed blending requirements. From a crushing it conversation via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This morning we begin with a conversation with Senator John Bozeman from Arkansas. Then it's Jeff Cooper from the Renewable Fuels Association. And later, Iowa Senator Joni Ernst. I'm handsome newsman Davis Michelson. And now, here's the host of AgriTalk, Jeff Flory. All right, Davis. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. And yep. welcome to AgriTalk. Glad that you have um, are making some time for us this morning. A couple of really important conversations this morning. Well, all three of them oh, when you get right down okay. to it. Okay. Um, the conversation conversation with ranking member of the House, excuse me, of the Senate Ag Committee, Senator John Bozeman. Uh, we actually had that conversation yesterday, but we're talking about some proposed legislation that he and Senator Braun are putting forth to, uh, to as I said in the open, uh, to protect farmers and ranchers from the Securities and Exchange Commission. So we'll get into the details of that. We don't talk a whole lot about the Senate Ag Committee hearing that is happening right now and that Senator uh, Bozeman is, is currently at, uh, but we do get into that a little bit at the end of the show. Senator Ernst has already had her her time to speak at the Ag Committee hearing. We'll we'll get her reaction to what she learned in the hearing at the end of the show. And of course, uh, Jeff Cooper from RFA. We we've got to get RFA's reaction to the blending obligations that were announced last week, mm-hmm. and uh, and and try to get a better understanding of exactly how it is going to work. And I. Here we are, we're, we're three or four business days past the announcement now, and I'm not sure if anybody has really figured out the electric renewable identification numbers yet. I'll, I'll check with, with uh, Jeff and, and see if he's got any insight into what is going on there. So, all right, buddy. Yeah. Uh, you ready to go with the news? Yeah. Um, all you right. know what? Let's, let's yeah. ease into it. USDA reported a daily export sale. Let's start there. Okay. 264,000 metric tons of soybeans to China during the 22-23 marketing year and 240,000 metric tons of beans to unknown destinations during the 22-23 marketing year. Chip? Okay. Yeah, good demand starting to show up for these beans. And the way that this bean market has been trading here recently, Davis, we – you had to wonder if some demand was really starting to show up, and here it is. Well, the U.S. trade gap widened to a four-month high of $78.2 billion in October. Exports from the United States decreased for a second consecutive month, 
suggesting external demand weakened further amid high inflation, rising borrowing costs, and a strong dollar. Pressure was driven by lower sales of natural gas and pharmaceutical products, while imports increased. According to the Wall Street Journal, the threat of a rail strike is over, Chip, but labor problems remain at the U.S. freight railroads. Carriers are continuing to face service disruptions and restrictions on shipments as they struggle to bring on enough staff to handle customer demand. Railroad operators say they have had insufficient numbers of train and engine workers, and unions representing other types of railroad hands say they, too, have shortages. And, Chip, we had talked before about, yeah. you know, this is not going to be just, okay, everything is back okay, to normal now. Back to work. Here we go. Yep. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're, no, it's going to take some time um, to recover from the shipping disruptions from before. Uh, yada, yada, well, yada. And here we are. Well, yeah. And it's not like, and and this is for good reason. This this is for good reason. I understand this. Labor unions are not are are don't typically take being told what to do without some sort of resistance. Mm-hmm. Okay, so even after the strike was averted, that doesn't mean that there isn't going to be some work slowdowns. Mm. That there won't be <laughs> some disruptions. That Maybe aren't, you know, officially planned disruptions, but nonetheless are disruptions of service. They are going to do what they can to keep the attention on the issues that matter most to them. And Mm -hmm. staffing up is part of it. That is definitely part of it. Well, Chip, Epitome Energy says it plans to build a $400 million soybean crushing plant in Grand Forks, North Dakota. The plant will process up to 42 million bushels of beans per year into crude, degummed soybean oil, meals, and hulls. The oil will likely go into the renewable diesel industry, while the meal will go into livestock feed. Yeah, yeah. You know, here we are trying to figure out just how important are those, uh, the blending requirements, and how much of an impact it'll have on investment, and we get word the, right. the very next week that there's yep. more investment in, in crush facilities. Well, Taiwan's semiconductor manufacturing company today will unveil plans to increase its investment in Arizona from $12 billion to $40 billion as that company plans to open another chip plant in the state. President Biden has been pressing for improvements to the chip supply chain as industries from autos to computers have struggled with an overdependence on Chinese suppliers. U.S. natural gas futures fell by more than 8% below 580, closing in on the lowest since July 6 on expectations of higher supply and milder weather across the U.S. over the next two weeks. Chip, the restart of the Freeport LNG export plant due to take place in the middle of December was pushed until the end of the month as the company is still waiting for regulatory approval, and that leaves more gas in the domestic market. Yeah, so checking that the the market performance the futures market performance there yep. we we gap down see we gap sharply lower on monday's trade today so far we opened near session highs and and higher but here we are trading under that five and a half dollar range this yep. is uh it you can't it, it it's not a confirmed breakdown a technical breakdown in the market but it sure smells like one right now 
Well, Republican Herschel Walker faces incumbent Raphael Warnock in the Georgia runoff race for the Senate today. The outcome will determine whether Democrats hold a 51 to 49 majority or have 50-50 control with the vice president as a tiebreaker. And finally, Chip, hold on to your Mountain Dew. PepsiCo (laughs) plans to lay off hundreds at its North American headquarters. The latest sign that a wave of belt tightening in the face of a worsening economy is expanding beyond the tech and media companies, Chip. Yeah, uh, you know, and that's, as I read that, I'm going to take it literally. It says at the North American headquarters. Headquarters, yeah. Worldwide, PepsiCo has like 300,000 employees, something Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. It's a huge number. So you hear hundreds and you think, eh, it's not that much. But when you realize it's hundreds, we're talking high dollars. Headquarters? Yes, high-dollar deal there. That's exactly <laughs> right. Um, it's a This is a big, big adjustment that PepsiCo has decided to make. And, um, yeah, it, 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 it is evidence that it's not just tech that is going through a restructuring as far as the number of employees. Good stuff, Davis. Thanks, buddy. All right, man. Uh, Stay tuned. Coming up next, we've got that conversation with Senator John Bozeman from Arkansas right here on AgriTalk. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. AgriTalk is brought to you by Ethos XB Insecticide Fungicide from FMC. Get serious seedling defense to defend against the toughest early season pests and diseases. Choose Ethos XB Insecticide Fungicide or Apt Plant Defense. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm your host, Chip Flory. Let's jump right to a conversation with Senator John Bozeman from Arkansas. He is the ranking member of the Senate Ag Committee. Senator Bozeman, thank you so much for making time for us. Well, thank you so much for finding time for me. (laughs) Excellent, excellent. Uh, Senator, you, along with Senator Braun from Indiana, have introduced legislation that is designed to, quote, protect family farmers and ranchers from the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC. So let's make sure that listeners understand why this legislation is needed. Well, for your listeners, this is very, very important. What Senator Braun and I have done is said, uh, with the SEC rules that are that they're wanting to come out with, uh, what they do is they they make industry uh, 
identify the chain that they have regarding carbon. And so this would go all the way down if a, if an entity uh, did business with a family farmer. Eventually it would wind up that that family farmer would have to provide the documentation as to what their carbon footprint was. So you can imagine, you know, medium, big farms, no problem. Actually, there would be a major problem, you know, with coming up with the data because it's so hard to determine these things anyway. But you can imagine the reporting expense, the documentation. Farmers have enough going on with now without this burden. And then I'll tell you what the next step would be down the line was, okay. would be the SEC or others would use this information to say, hey, you're not climate friendly enough. We're going to exclude you from, you know, various programs. Right. So that's the real threat. The expense would be a major factor, but but I think the real picture of that is trying to make it such that family farms are going to be controlled from Washington as to what they do, how they produce, and their carbon footprint. Right. And essentially, what this legislation will do from from you and Senator Braun is create an exemption for farmers and ranchers, correct? Yes. No, this would okay. exempt. So, again, we're, what we're doing is we're saying, hey, you know, we're not going to do that from a, a cost standpoint, from a reporting standpoint, a time standpoint, all of that. We're going to protect our farmers. But also the bigger picture is we're going to protect them from uh, this climate smart stuff. That, that This is just a, a way to get a, a, a foot in the door for much greater things in the future, which we, we simply aren't going down that path. Okay. Uh, as, as long as you brought up the climate smart farming projects that, uh, that are initiated at USDA, they're using funds from the Commodity Credit Corporation. Should Congress be looking more closely at how USDA is using those CCC funds? They, very definitely. I, I mean, you know, this is there's been no transparency in in these things at all. So that's something that we've asked USDA through uh, both t calling them and saying, you know, what's the deal, but also through formally uh, letters saying, what are you doing with specific programs? But right now, there's been very little transparency. We don't really know what they're doing. I suspect that a great deal of that was pushed out to districts that were in tough races in the last uh, in the last election that yeah. was the criteria yeah yeah which is concerning to say the least if, if, if <laughs> to say the, the least yeah. and you're talking about you know you're talking about tremendous sums of money yeah and so uh you know 2.8 billion dollars i can tell yeah the best i can tell there's been no oversight we're not we're not doing that as a committee and so uh, we've actually visited with the uh, the agriculture IG. Uh, we've we've had some GAO investigations, uh, you know, that we're talking about pursuing. So that's that's the way we can do this. And then now with the House changing control, uh, working with uh, Congressman Thompson, you know, and his team that do a tremendous job, uh, we'll be able to to get these folks over and actually. Ask them firsthand, you know, what are you doing? Uh, you know, where is this money going? How is it benefiting the agricultural community? Uh, you know, the idea of, of pushing these things out to these these groups to uh, allow them, you know, to, to manage it. 
that don't have anything, you know, some of the NGOs and stuff that don't have anything to do with farming is really pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, the balance of the Senate is being determined today uh, with the runoff election down in Georgia. But the dynamics of the farm bill, as you just kind of indicated, have changed with the GOP control of the House, Democrat control of the Senate. How does that affect the whole negotiation process for the 23 farm bill? Well, it does affect the, the negotiating process, and and the farm bill consists really of two parts. The, the farmer aspect of it, which is only about 20%. Right. Uh, you know, we talk in terms of a farm bill, but as you know, and I think your listeners know, you know, the, the vast majority of that is really nutrition. And so in, in, in working out the, uh, <coughs> excuse me, the areas regarding the farm bill aspect, Generally, that's been fairly nonpartisan. You know, this is all about different areas of the country. It's about commodities. It's not really a Democrat or Republican thing. It's trying to get all of that that situated. And so hopefully we can, you know, do the same formulas that we did last time where we had a record number of votes in the Senate, record number of votes in the House. Uh, and then you have the nutrition aspect where you get into Republicans wanting work rules and things like that. And I think rightfully so. But but that's really where you get into, you know, real Democrat versus Republican uh, types of issues. Not not in the sense of not, you know, being helpful to those that are in need, but how you go about doing that. Okay. Um, the ad hoc disaster bills have become more common. As a matter of fact, I believe that a disaster aid uh, uh, plan for 22 crop issues is being considered and maybe part of the spending bill that's that's got the December 16 deadline. Is that right? Yes, sir, it is. Okay. All of that really is, is going on as we speak, you know, we're, with our uh, teams negotiating different things. Problem with disaster is, is we're seeing these, you know, these hundred year events happening every other year. Right now, the Mississippi River is, is at a point where they're having to limit barge traffic and it's actually come up a little bit, uh, because of, you know, the very low levels of water. So these are real things. Uh, you know, we're, we're having drought, we're having flooding. And so, uh, the good news is Congress has stepped forward, but it shouldn't be that we have to really fight to, to get the, the funding. And then sometimes, really, I think as you're alluding to, you know, that, that funding, once we uh, agree to it, uh, you know, by the time we agree to it, it might take two years for yeah. anybody to really see the money. So that's not, that's one thing in the farm bill. And, and I don't really have the answer, but I've got the question, you know, how can we improve that? Yeah. You know, how we can, how can we make it such that, uh, you know, that, that there's some certainty, some reliability in that system uh, so that uh, as we help those, you know, that are affected, that there is some sort of, a, you know, a system that, that kicks in where they where they know what's going to happen right. and know what's covered and, and then, again, get those funds in a, in a timely way. Yeah, those funds. Uh, it, mm -hmm. It's going to take more money, more funding for the Farm Bill if the safety net is going to be improved, isn't it? Where does that come from? Well, it, it is, and yet it's not, because we're we're putting those funds out. I mean, it's not like we're not spending that money now. 
this, these are these are funds that, that are being spent. I think we could, you know, make it such that we could capture some of those dollars, and then and then do it in a in a much more efficient way, uh, so that it doesn't doesn't actually cost any more money than what we're spending in a calendar year, but actually saves us some money, but through efficiency and and maybe not needing quite as much money if we if we have the parameters in place. That really is an important thing that we we simply need to do a better job of and and uh, need to come up with some solutions. Yep the the next round of disaster aid will be will there be anything for the rice growers there in your home state of Arkansas? Well, we're working really hard to get that done, and and there, you know, when you look at the charts, uh, yeah. you know, commodity prices have gone up almost across the board except for rice and a few others, and, and rice. Input costs are great, and uh, the commodity prices just hadn't gone up. And so as a result of that, we've got a lot of people that are struggling. And it's not just the farmer. It's the apparatus that yeah. goes with it, the That's mills, right. you know, things like that, that, that value add and create jobs in regions, which are very, very important. Senator, let's stay in touch on this. We really appreciate your willingness to come on and talk to us on AgriTalk, okay? No, we appreciate you, and we'll visit with you anytime you'd like. Thank you so much. Excellent. That is Senator John Bozeman from Arkansas right here on AgriTalk. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. Time for Markets Now with the experts from ProFarmer. And joining us now, ProFarmer editor Brian Grady. Boy, the upside momentum in the soy complex with the drag of corn and wheat is really impressive this morning. Yeah, really, uh, the meal market uh, just charging to new highs and and, uh, leading the way. Uh, But soybeans are actively participating, too. So, you know, a couple things in play. Uh, You know, we had a couple daily soybean sales to China and unknown. So demand side of things is is giving us support. Uh, Concerns in Argentina with the uh, ongoing heat and dryness stress uh, on that crop and, and obviously Argentina's major uh, meal exporter onto the world market, and so that's helping uh, support the the uh, meal market this morning, along with soybeans. But also, uh, just you know, aggressive fund buying, chart based buying, all that. So you combine it all, and you get an explosive move up, like we're seeing in both the meal and and soybean markets this morning. Soy oil continues to trade to the downside. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, quite a bit of just aggressive spreading action going on uh, in that market again today. 
Yeah, that is so impressive. Soybean oil trading modestly lower with soybean meal trading 18 to $20 higher. It's it's really, really impressive. Take us over to livestock trade. What's happening? Well, uh, quite a bit of uh, uh, red on the screen this morning with uh, sharp losses across live cattle, feeder cattle, and in the uh, lean hog market. So uh, quite a bit of pullback there on hogs uh, from their recent uh, gains. Uh, the cattle market, a little bit more head scratching on that front because we do anticipate that uh, cash prices will continue with their upward trajectory. But uh, boy, just a, a sell off this morning. Yeah, no doubt. All right. Thank you, Brian. That's Pro Farmer Editor Brian Grady. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. Your next piece of equipment is on MachineryPete.com. Search equipment from dealerships across the country to find what you're looking for. Only on MachineryPete.com. Timberlake for the ladies now. AgriTalk for the ladies now. <laughs> All right, welcome back to AgriTalk. We're going to get to a conversation with Jeff Cooper here in just a moment as soon as we make time for today's Yields in the Field. Yields in the Fields on AgriTalk is brought to you by Microessentials from Mosaic, the science of more. Discover our proven products. Text YIELDS to 31313. Chip, from the north to the south, we highlight harvest exuberance panhandle of Texas. A farmer is busy with corn, cotton, and sorghum silage says, quote, harvest time is the best time all the way north to central Michigan, quote, last 180 acres. If I had weather and grain storage on my side, I'd take another 500 acres of corn. Love harvesting <laughs> corn, exclamation point. Yields in the fields brought to you by Microessentials from Mosaic Chip. Yep, yep, no doubt about it. Uh, harvest is a, is a favorite time of the year for most farmers. All right, thank you very much, Davis. Jeff Cooper is the president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. He joins us right now. Jeff, welcome back. Thanks, Chip. Thanks for having me. You bet. Um, let's start with the proposed renewable volume obligations that were announced last week by EPA. What's, uh, what is RFA's general response? Well, Chip, I got to say, we're, we're pretty happy with what EPA proposed last week. Um, it's It's very much in line with what we were expecting, but you never know exactly what you're going to get until EPA actually publishes yeah. those proposals and puts them out for the public to look at. Uh, so yeah, we, we were excited to see EPA proposing conventional renewable fuel volumes of 15 billion gallons or more uh, for the next three years. And, and, you know, I think it's important for people to remember, this is the first time EPA is using its own discretion Yes. to set these volumes. They don't have direction from Congress in terms of specific volumes anymore. It's up to, it's up to EPA. So to come out of this uh, proposal with higher volumes uh, for conventional renewable fuels is, we think, a very uh, positive development and, and one that we support. Gotcha. Gotcha. Good. Um, and let, hey, We're going to get to the, the blending requirements on the conventional or the the corn-based ethanol in just a more moment but i'm uh -huh. sure that you've seen some of the negative response from the bio-based diesel supporters and i know you're a supporter of, of biodiesel of renewable diesel of all the sure. biofuels uh do you share the concerns that epa may have failed to provide a certainty of support for the advanced 
biofuels like renewable diesel in in the RVOs? Well, I, I think there's probably some room to grow the advanced biofuel requirements under this proposal, and that would include bio, you know, biodiesel and, and renewable diesel. Uh, we know that there's a, a fair amount of capacity that is on the drawing board or, or under construction. Um, and we want to make sure there's, there's room to grow those volumes. Uh, but again, I, I would go back to the fact that, you know, we, we asked EPA and this administration to ensure that the RFS continues to grow in every category uh, in 2023 and beyond. And that's what this proposal does. Yep. So the, the growth may not be quite what the biodiesel folks were looking for at least in this initial proposal. Um, but we think there may be an opportunity to, to, to get those volumes up uh, during this comment period and, and hopefully finalize some bigger volumes. Okay. Okay. Uh, some of the comments, conversations that I've had are talking about how there's so many more products in, in included in the RFS now that can generate the, the credits, the RINs. Yep. And there is because of the crowded field uh the rvos for conventional ethanol i'm 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 just wondering can that crowded field kind of water down the rvos for the conventional ethanol well it it certainly the the bucket of the rfs where corn ethanol qualifies the conventional renewable fuel bucket is open to any renewable fuel. So if there is yeah. excess biodiesel, if there's excess, you know, sugarcane ethanol imports, or yeah. if there's excess ERINs now, um, that can spill over into that conventional biofuel pool, which is again EPA is proposing to set at 15.25 billion gallons um, yeah. each of the next three years. Uh, our, our view is though that that obligated parties, refiners, are going to use the lowest cost. Uh, most yeah. competitive option to comply with that portion of the RFS. Uh, and, and we think that's going to be corn ethanol. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so yeah, there's going to be some increased competition, I think for compliance at the margin. Uh, but we think uh, corn ethanol is pretty well suited to, 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 to win that competition. And, and again, you know, we, we, we absolutely want to make sure there's room to continue growing all the volumes under the RFS but these are minimums. Uh, if there's demand in the marketplace yes. for, for more than this, it'll get produced and it'll get right. used. Um, this is a floor for each category of, of renewable, renewable fuels. Yeah. You, you know, Jeff, I, I, I feel like so many observers lose track of that. Yeah. That, that this is not a ceiling or a cap on how much can be used. That's absolutely uh, which, right. Which is what, it, which is why the proposal for the year-round availability of E15 is so important, correct? It, it is. It, it is absolutely important. And, and we've seen in the past where the amount of ethanol produced and, and consumed in the U.S. has been higher than what the RFS has required. We've seen that with biodiesel as well. So there's no reason that can't continue, but that only will continue if the marketplace is truly open to larger yeah. volumes of these fuels and, and we yeah. removed or erased some of the barriers that are keep currently keeping uh, those higher levels out. And certainly, you know, the summertime blockade on, on E15 has, has been one of those barriers that we hope will be alleviated uh, come summer of 2023. Yep. 
Jeff, one of the concerns that I see with with year-round availability of E15, and I don't know, maybe I shouldn't be concerned about it. I've, I've, I've mentioned it on the air a couple of times, and people have kind of fought back with, hey, as long as we're selling more ethanol, <laughs> let's let's sell more ethanol. When when E10 came on the market, it was 89 octane, and then the refiners made the adjustment on their blend stock and saved money on their blend on their refining costs. And yep. now E10 is an 87 minimum uh, octane level at the pump. Are we headed for an 87 octane E15 at the pump? Chip, we, we talk about this a lot at RFA, and, and in fact, we're already there. There, there are some stations that are marketing E15 at 87 octane. Uh, we, we've learned, you know, if we've learned anything over the past 30 years with E10, it is that refiners do not give away octane. And, no. and, if, they, and if they can meet minimum octane requirements at the pump uh, by blending in a little more ethanol, then they're going to they're gonna reduce the octane of the blend stock they're producing at the refineries. We fully expect that to happen as E15 continues to grow in the marketplace, unless we're able to get Congress or EPA yeah. to enforce a higher minimum octane requirement, right. uh, which of course would be good for uh, fuel economy and, and emissions and everything else. And, and so that's kind of another regulation at EPA that would be the, the vehicle to do that. That'd be the fuel economy standards. Uh, yep. but, but you're absolutely right. Refiners are, are going to continue to ratchet down the octane of the gasoline they're making at the refinery if they can get that octane from, from higher levels of ethanol. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. You think this E15 year round feels like there's momentum there, Jeff? Do you feel that? I absolutely feel it. Okay. Coming out of this summer, we've had record sales volumes. Um, retailers are talking about it like never before. Yeah. If we can just get this year round issue resolved, um, I really yep. think we're posed for huge growth in E15. Okay. Very good. Very good. Um, the, you know what? I got to stay on this for just a second. The, the the proposals, the RVO proposals are, you know, it's almost like 700 pages, something like that. Yeah. It's very complex. Have we figured out the ERINs? Oh, boy. Yeah, it's it's 692 pages plus another 500-page appendix. Uh, and, and, Chip, the short answer is we are still scratching our heads on ERINs. Okay. It, it is incredibly complex and complicated. We don't know exactly how this is going to work. Uh, EPA is proposing to have the automaker, the, the, the manufacturer of the electric vehicle, be the REN generator right. in the case of ERENs. And, and I'm just not exactly sure we understand how that's, that's all going to play out. So that's something we're still okay. sinking our teeth into and trying to understand. Okay. Um, you've, you, RFA has, has uh, submitted some public comments on the implementation yes. of the Inflation Reduction Act. Tell us about that quick. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act passed in August. It was this gargantuan bill. I had a lot in it for renewable fuels and clean energy. And then they handed this thing off to the Treasury Department to implement. And of course, you know, as the saying goes, the devil is always in the details on these things. So we are um, commenting early and often with the Department of Treasury to make sure that this program is implemented in a way that is truly going to benefit renewable fuel producers. Again, this is some of the programs and the tax credits that are, that are in the IRA bill are very complicated and we want to make sure they're implemented correctly. Um, and a lot of that has to do with how do you measure carbon reduction? Because yeah. all these tax credits are based on how much are you reducing carbon emissions? Well, 
if you don't know how to measure that, you don't know what your reduction is, and then you don't know how much your tax credit's going to be worth. So that is a key issue in this whole thing. As and so is how do you verify those those carbon reductions? So those are those are the sorts of issues that we are commenting on and and interacting with the Department of Treasury on. Yeah, and if we can standardize some of the measurements, we can then standardize some of the analysis and get rid of exactly the. Uh, you know, the confusion that comes out of, you know, I'm thinking about the University of Wisconsin report here, what, oh. from a year or 18 months ago. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, we, it would it would be so good to have a standardized model across all the agencies yep. and across all these programs. Uh, shouldn't be that hard, but uh, it, it does prove to be hard in, in practice. Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Thanks, buddy. Hey, thank you, Chip. Take care. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, Timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. AgriTalk is brought to you by the NRCS Conservation Stewardship Program, which cost shares more than 150 practices on farms and ranches. Visit your local service center or farmers.gov today. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm Chip Flory. Glad that you're with us this morning and glad that Senator Joni Ernst from Iowa found a little time to join us this morning. Senator, welcome back to AgriTalk. Hey, great to be with you, Chip. Thanks. Yeah, glad that you were here. You just addressed the Senate Ag Committee on the 2023 Farm Bill. Uh, What's the focus of the hearing and what was your message? Yes, I had the great opportunity to attend our hearing today, and it was focused on research programs, and I was able to question the panel on the research title of the Farm Bill, something very important to our Iowa farmers. Yeah, Uh, I saw your comments. I was so glad to see you go straight at cybersecurity. Uh, It's an issue that it's kind of on the periphery. You know, farmers think about it, but it is it is so important going forward in, in, well, business security. Yeah, absolutely. And this is something that I brought brought up to Dr. Jacobs Young, um, who was appearing in front of us, asking her about the increasing cybersecurity threats. And as we know that our adversaries are targeting our farmers, then that does affect our nation's food chain. And so what we want to see is additional work on this effort in our university ag systems, you know, through research education and outreach activities. And so she was very good on this area. We've got a lot of great partners out there working on this. 
Yeah. You know, I thought I was very impressed by Dr. Uh, Jacobs Young. Um, seems like she's very much in tune with some of the research needs that, that are out there. Yeah, she certainly is, yeah. and that's why I'm, I'm glad she's, you know, at the helm there, um, because she does know it. And she was able to answer a lot of questions coming from both the left and the right on many yeah. of our different priorities, but she is very well-versed. Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, to the listeners, uh, Dr. Jacobs-Young is the Undersecretary for Research Education and Economics and USDA's chief scientist. So there was that. Speaking of outreach, uh, you you also talked about the need to get data-driven carbon research into the hands of farmers so that they can make uh, smart decisions when it comes to their participation in any of the carbon programs that are out there, right? Yes, absolutely. And I hear about this all the time from our farmers across Iowa when I'm out doing ag visits. Um, you know, they, they want to participate. They want to do the right thing, of course, uh, yeah. for healthy soils and so forth. But just getting that type of information and translating in, into how do I measure this on my farm or in my um, ag production activities. And that's a, that's the big issue. We've got to figure out how to translate that data-driven research and put it into a format that's understandable by the end user and practical. You know, it, it can't take a heavy lift for our farmers who are yeah. so engaged in so many other activities. So we need to figure that piece out. Uh, but right. she's very, very concerned about that as well. Yep. Some of these research and these outreach efforts are going to take more money. Uh, is there going to be the funds available for for research efforts in the farm bill well that's absolutely what we have to do is find ways of funding these types of programs these types of outreach and making sure that we are wrapping up the authorizations in the farm bill making sure that uh, those dollars are available again that will go from those that are doing the data and the research on maybe carbon capture or other programs, um, and making sure that we get it down to that end user and they're participating right. in programs that benefit not only that farmer, but uh, their farms for future generations. Okay. I, I got to ask one more thing about the, the hearing. Senator Booker's comments. Could, could you connect the dots of the insanity that he was <laughs> attempting to lay out? So I did listen to um, Senator Booker, and I felt like he was targeting those of us that are in uh, larger scale agriculture, yeah. those of us that, that raise corn. Um, we know there are a lot of byproducts that come from corn that go into other foodstuffs out there. Um, and certainly that's, that's a concern when we start targeting different areas of agriculture. And our agriculture feeds and fuels the world. And yeah. so I would rather see us continue to, to provide supports, you know, across the food industry and not yes. knocking out, uh, you know, our Iowa agriculture. Yes, absolutely. You know, it, it's comments like Senator Booker's that make me realize uh, just how much education agriculture has left to do. And, and some of that education is even with members of the Senate Ag Committee. It's, it's uh, pretty remarkable. Yep. Year-round availability of E15, Senator, is that something that can pass Congress? 
Oh, I am hoping so, and this is where we need a little bit of a push coming from the White House as well. You know, President Biden has stated that he is a big supporter of ethanol, and so this is one way that he could show us that, yeah, he does support ethanol and renewable energy sources, not just electric vehicles. Uh, we know that's a, a thing that's far off in the future. We have ethanol and, and uh, renewable fuels right here and now. We need to use it, and we certainly can provide that E15 year-round. Okay, only about a minute, minute, but I'm going to ask another momentum issue. Do you feel that, that immigration policy is something the new Congress will be able to tackle? You know, this is a tricky issue, and it's one that I hear from, whether they're farmers or those engaged in um, animal agriculture, just the need for all hands on deck. We just don't have enough people in our labor pool to draw from for these industries. And so as I look to the future, I am hopeful that we can find reasonable ways of modernizing immigration to suit all levels of industry across the United States. But the problem is it needs to start with security at our southern border. And that's something that Democrats, especially here in the Senate, they're very unwilling to address at this at this uh, this time right now. So uh, I think we've got a battle on our hands, but we'll see where it goes in the new Congress. Very good. Senator Ernst, thank you so much for making time for us. Maybe send a link to AgriTalk over to Senator Booker's office. You betcha. Thanks. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Come back this afternoon. We've got a great conversation lined up with Rich Nelson from Allendale right here on AgriTalk.